Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey, everyone. Today's episode is with Kelly Parthen. She is the co-founder of Bean Sprouts, which is a hip and healthy family cafe in destinations you would not expect. And there's more to the term hip than you would think, and we, we bring that out in the discussion. She's highly educated, was a former TV broadcaster, and frankly, one of the most intelligent business people I've talked to in a long time. The pivots her organization had to make, particularly during covid are remarkable, and they have done some things early on in their career uh, through the learning process to set themselves up for success. And I think the biggest takeaway for any leader or entrepreneur is how Kelly and her co-workers and co-founders have built just an incredible culture, uh, how they name their employees, the inspiration to train people in a proper way. And she used this concept of weeding in versus weeding out that I took away as just a great thought process for developing talent. So enjoy the episode and uh, please contact Kelly in the information in the comments or in the show notes if you'd like more background on how she's built a fantastic company. Tell us how the idea for the business got started and then let's walk through how you grew it. We, um, started Bean Sprouts about 15 years ago. And we started it in Madison, Wisconsin, actually Middleton, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And both Shannon and I had young children at the time. And we realized there was just a big problem in the market where there weren't a lot of places, um, especially indoor in winter, that you could take your kids Mm -hmm. that you felt really good about, that it was clean, that there weren't germs everywhere, and that you could get a really good healthy meal, something you felt good about feeding your kids and feeding yourself. And so that's just kind of how Bean Sprouts came about. Neither of us had restaurant experience, restaurant backgrounds. Um, I worked at a small cafe once in New Zealand, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, and I spilled hot chocolate on a child when I was doing that. So I, I knew that was not going to be my, my path. Um, but look, here we are um, with 17 cafes in eight states. And so how did you end up in Colorado versus, you know, your roots were in Wisconsin, especially the first store? How did that that transition? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I actually lived in Colorado when we opened our first store. Um, Shannon was on the ground and I was doing much more of the um, business development, the marketing aspects of it. Um, So she was more in charge of the day-to-day operations and probably one of the reasons for our success as business partners, because it's really, you know, you're, you're getting married to someone when you do something like this. We've never lived in the same city ever, which is kind of crazy to have a business together. Um, So it's just a joy when we get to, to get together, which we do, you know, quite often. And yeah. Well, in 15 years ago, that concept of truly a remote business was new. People weren't doing that. It's funny you say that because I remember we actually changed our phone numbers because people would be like, oh, well, your places are in California, but you have a Wisconsin phone number or you have a Colorado phone number. Mm -hmm. And then that would be the start of the conversation. And back then that was just not usual at all. And they're like, how can you do this without a headquarters? Um, Which now obviously the the world has changed quite a bit. Um, And I think a lot more people are gonna, you know, start doing this and cut the cost of overhead. 
So are you still virtual? Do you have a physical anchored headquarters anywhere? We have our training headquarters and that's the one that's behind me. Okay. Um, so that's in Orange County or Orange, California. And, but our COO is in Arizona, our CFO is in Florida. I'm in Colorado and Shannon's in Wisconsin. That is an incredibly distributed leadership team. Yeah. It's hard to keep track of time zones sometimes. <laughs> so what made you choose Orange, California as a training ground? Uh, it was our biggest um, location. Okay. And it's, um, it's a beautiful location that we built out there. And so we had more back of the house room. Um, so when we hire new bean leaders, that's usually where, well now, and now we have one in Raleigh as well, but, um, we fly them out there and then they work in the cafe for two, two weeks. And it's also kind of located. We have one in San Diego, another one in Orange County, um, one in LA and one in Pasadena. Mm -hmm. So by coming to that, that Southern California region, you're able to see quite a few different operations. How are you managing attracting and retain, retaining talent around each store? Culture. Culture. I, it's okay. one of the things that Shannon and I, I mean, our backgrounds, like I said, weren't restaurant, um, which is good and bad. There were a lot of things we had to learn, which were hard. Right. But the one thing that we did have, um, and her background, um, as you know, I was, um, I worked in TV and mm -hmm. broadcast, as did she. She also worked at American Girl. And for oh. people out there that have daughters, um, American Girl is amazing at building a brand um, and telling a story. So it's not just they're selling dolls. There's a story that you know goes along with with everything that they do, um, which is why the the dolls can be more expensive. Um, so anyway, that um, we brought kind of that piece of it. Like this is a story that we're telling. Um, sure. And it's interesting because the restaurant business is very hard. Um, a lot of people aren't treated very well when they work in the restaurant business. So by treating people really well, um, our model, which we'll get into later is in family destinations that, you know, have a closing time of like five, six o'clock. Sure. Um, so you're, we're attracting people that care about healthy food, care about kids. Um, and they have not bad restaurant hours considering, you know, some of the places that are open till midnight and smoky or sure. crappy or, you know, bars, all that kind of stuff. So we're able to offer a really nice work environment. So I think that is part of it. And then once they're in, they, they drink the Kool-Aid the first day on the job. And he did introduce me to this, but my, my name's P brain. Um, and my business partner is Picasso. Okay. And so right when we bring people on in their orientation, they get to pick their, their fruit or veggie name. And so right from there, like the first day they walk in the store, people are like, oh, why do you call yourself Bean Jovi or whatever, you know, their name is, Lady Guava. Bean yeah. Jovi. Oh, those are, yeah, those yeah, are fantastic. I know. Oh, they're fan. Oh, our COO is the podfather. Oh it's my. Mm -hmm. See, and so this answers a question because I noticed that you followed Chick-fil-A mm -hmm. and I wondered why you did that. And I'm starting to understand the fact that they have created such a different culture and, and, a, and customer focused environment. That's what, there you go. Answers yeah. my question. And Starbucks was a big thing, obviously, when we started too. I mean, we, we got into, you know, all of their materials, read all their books and yeah. What's the most frequent demographic in one of your stores? Today, it kind of depends what one we're in. So we're in family destinations. And when I say family destinations, that's everything from a children's museum, which skews a little bit younger. So 10 and under with okay. their parents or grandparents or nanny or whoever it might be. We're in science centers. That skews a little bit older. So I would say, you know, more of the, you know, 15 and under. And then we're in zoos, which okay. runs the gamut. 
um, some amusement parks and I mean, runs the gamut sure. of, of people that are going to those that don't even have children. And then the one we have one um, here in Colorado Springs at the Garden of the Gods Visitor Center. Sure. And so that one definitely is, you know, all ages, but for the most part, it's, you know, kids that are, you know, parents and kids that are 12 and under. Well, and if parents and kids are in museums, you know, educational centers, cultural centers, they're curious people, they're thoughtful, and that, that's obviously going to, I think, play well into your demographic and in, in what you're yes. attracting. And what's so interesting is that so many of those places, um, even still today, they have such a great educational programming aspect. And then on the way out, it's like, and here's your nachos with fake cheese or sure. you know, a hot dog. Um, and so it's just a mismatch of, of mission. And so that's one of the, the problems that we're solving there. But we didn't start in family de destinations. We started as a storefront. And that was, you know, one of the things that we had to pivot early on. So you recognize there would be a solid partner or environment you would have more success in launching a storefront. How did you think about reaching out to those organizations? Um, it's so interesting because they came to us. Um, no kidding. And so when we opened, um, and it was great. It was, um, it, it's called an inline store. So we had a Starbucks on the corner. We had um, a take and bake pizza right next mm -hmm. to us and us. And we were by a grocery store. Um, and it was, it was very nice. It was well-received. Um, it was a cutie patootie little, you know, it was really fun to design. Mm -hmm. um, but once a museum, a couple of museums, Milwaukee, Madison, um, even Chicago, um, got wind and they'd be like, Hey, would you ever open a pop-up? You know, can you cater birthday parties? Can you do this? And it was like this big aha moment of like, well, we built this here and we can continue to pay marketing dollars and advertising and trying to get people in, or we could build it where our target market is already coming. And so right. that's when we, we decided, okay, there's an opportunity. And so it was really hard because we did shut that store down. Um, you know, and you know, that's your first baby, you know, like, yeah. Oh, we're going to close this. We spent so much money. So it was a really hard decision. Um, and I remember there was a day and it was like the harshest winter in Wisconsin. I think there were seven snow days that winter. Wow. So, you know, schools shut down, no one's on and, the roads. And by the way, a snow day in Wisconsin is a big deal, folks. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> schools down in Wisconsin. It's a heavy snow day. Exactly. Exactly. And so I remember there was one day and it's kind of funny because it was winter. We sold one smoothie the whole day. One smoothie. Oh no, snow day. You'd think it'd be some coffee, but one smoothie. And that was our kind of, we, we always mentioned that we're like, yep, it's a smoothie day. Whenever, whenever we get a sign that something, you know, like this is way too hard. We need to go a different direction. We're like, yep. Yeah. That sucked. It was a smoothie day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's our first eating crow moment here in the podcast and it came out organically, which I love, right. Which is for a young business owner or an entrepreneur listening to this, you have to be able to willing to make those tough decisions and recognize yes. those pivots. And it's hard, right? That is your baby. Yes. Yes. But, you know, you're not, uh, so Kelly, hats off to you and your partner. This, these are not normal business people. If you recognize that opportunity. Yeah. And, and the business model that we're in now, it's fantastic because what we do is a revenue share with mm -hmm. our family destination. So it's not a rent, sure. um, which I have to tell you when you hear, you know, right now, um, hundred thousand restaurants, independent restaurants probably have closed through the coronavirus. Um, a lot of those are because they had rent to pay. Sure. Um, so right now we only have four of our um, 
four of our places open right now, but we're not having to pay rent at the places we're closed because we have such a good relationship with the partner and they understand. So that's brilliant. Well, and, and hopefully as the market starts to recover next year, that your, your store start to open more frequently, what's your thought process? Is it, is it pause in 2021, double down and grow? What are you thinking? Grow. It's, good. it's very interesting because during this time, um, you know, we, we were planting probably four to five new places a year. And right now, all of these family destinations, most of them had a pause or they're at lower capacity. And their leadership, um, back to what I was saying about the great education, their mission, and then the, the mismatch with the food, I think during this time, their leadership is re-envisioning what their family destination will look like. And sure. hey, do we want better food? Do we want better exhibits? Do we want better this or that? Um, so during this time, actually, even though we have some clothes, we're having so many people reach out and in different verticals. Um, so we're right now in the family destination, but we've had um, some bigger companies that serve K through 12 school lunches. We've had some companies that um, are in children's hospitals um, come talk to us about doing some, some partnering. And so I see this as a time to, you know, not just sit back and and let it, you know, the wave run. I mean, and when I say that, uh, heartfelt to all of our people that aren't able to work right now, sure. because there are quite a few. Um, we've yeah. done the best that we can to keep um, our leadership on, mm -hmm. um, paying health benefits. Health is one of our core values. Um, health sure. benefits for our leaders that aren't working right now. Um, but it's it's been a really difficult time to kind of, you know, see that balance between physical health, financial health. But from a growth perspective, there's a lot of opportunity also during this time. And we're really um, um, keen in on that for this upcoming year. Kelly, one of the things that I noticed in your background is, is the Female Founder Collective. What's the mission and what's the, the value prop from the Female Founder Collective? Yeah, you bet. So it's, it's interesting because um, we didn't realize there were all these resources out there um, when we started. And it was through winning an award, a top 100 award, um, and then doing a top 100, it was Fast Casual Mover and Shaker Award. Okay. Um, and alongside like huge, like Chipotle's and Starbucks and like Itsy Bitsy Bean Sprouts was in there. And so we wanted to, um, you know, do a publicity, you know, a PR campaign around it and let people know. And our cookbook came out. And so we started like looking through the pages of, hey, whoa, where are all the females in this, you know, top 100? And started researching like how many, you know, restaurant chains, and when I say chains, it's five or more places, mm -hmm. um, are exclusively founded by females. And there were less than a handful that we could think of. And so we're like, wow, this is something very interesting that we have here. Um, not only the business model, but that it was founded by, you know, two females. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we started like, okay, well, who are some of the resources that are out there? And so the two big ones I came up, Female Founders Collective is brand new. Okay. Um, so that is just getting started right now. The other one was um, the National Association of Women Business Owners. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a really interesting one because the way we found out about that is Maria Sharapova, the mm -hmm. tennis player, um, actually started a program for NABO and they picked um, five, six, seven females, female founded businesses, females across. And we um, got to um, be in a year long program with Maria. And so wow. got to meet her. yeah, it was fantastic. Um, and so basically the female founders collective is kind of doing a little bit of the same thing. 
Um, but they're they're pretty brand new, so it's kind of great that we get to you know have some influence in the direction that they they take. When you look at the fact that the the number of female founded businesses, particularly in your in your industry, was so small, what do you think was the the roadblock there? You know, it's it's very interesting. Um, I think it is a lot of um, access to capital. Okay. I mean, really, I think it's it's two things: it's access to capital, and it's also that risk. Um, I mean, it's sometimes females do think through things very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they realize all the risks before they jump right in, yep. um, which is good and bad. Um, and in business, um, it, it was interesting because I, I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but basically from, you know, venture capital, um, the amount of female founded businesses that get venture capital is like less than 5%. It's very low. Um, yeah. And it, and it's mostly because a lot of the decision makers that are, you know, doling out the venture capital dollars, um, are, are a certain demographic that mm-hmm. there's not a lot of females, right. um, a lot of, not a lot of minorities in general. And so, so it is just very interesting that I think it is that access to capital. And then also the, the risk of, um, jumping on in and the lack of a lot of success stories. Sure. And so that's why I appreciate you having me here. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons the female um, founder collective started and Navo is that it allows us to share our success stories. So, mm-hmm. hey, why reinvent something if someone already you know made this mistake or had the success, lean on them. Um, sure. And that was something we learned early, early on. We were, it was even before our first cafe opened we were putting the business model together. And like I said, we did not have the restaurant experience to be able to put a business model together. You need to know what's going to be on your menu. Sure. So we're like, well, do we hire a chef right now? We're not going to be open for, you know, eight months to a year. Mm-hmm. And we were really struggling with that. And then um, Shannon had a friend connected to American girl who was in Chicago, who was doing some branding for us. She's like, Hey, I have a friend in the restaurant business. Why don't you just, you know, talk to her on the phone, they both had twins that were the same age. Mm-hmm. So they were a twin um, connection thing. And we're like, great, you know, she'll do a phone call with us. And so she set up the phone call. This is right when Google, you, know, you couldn't really Google, Google stock people back in those days. Sure. Um, we call it Beanstalk, by the way, Beanstalk <laughs> people. Um, Another one. Right. Um, so we looked her up. Her name's Gail Gand. And as we were looking at her up, and this is prior to our phone call, um, Oprah Winfrey's favorite pastry chef. Um, has a show on the Food Network, had a bunch of restaurants in Chicago, had a cookbook. I, I we're just like, whoa, who are we talking to? Mm-hmm. And so we get on the phone with her and bless her. I mean, just, she's like, yep, I'm helping you. Uh, I'm doing the menu for you. I'm going to help you do the menu. And we're like, we can't pay you what you're worth. She's like, no, someone needs to be doing this. I'm going to help you. So she helped us do our first menu um, on our first cookbook. She's the quote on it, but it was early on of like, oh, wait, you can ask for help. I, you know, and I think that is a lesson that we've learned over and over and over and cannot, you know, push up. You can ask for help. I mean, someone might say no, but I think deep down, most people want to say yes. You, you can certainly ask for help. And what's amazing is most people are willing to provide it. Absolutely. Helping other women start businesses today has got to be so much more of a a vibrant environment because you can do this virtually. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I do have to say it, it's great. Nothing does replace that face-to-face time mm-hmm. um, and, you know, really getting to see the person and their business um, in action, but it is amazing. I mean, I, and you could have one in person to three online or phone calls sure. or, you know, FaceTimes, whatever it is. Um, and the access is just, I mean, it's not only just, you know, where you can drive. I mean, it's across the country in other countries even. Absolutely. And, and what I like about your business, there is a physical aspect to what you're doing, right? Yes. So when you're doing the trainings, you're in store, you do get to make that kind of flip-flop back and forth between the virtual world and the physical world frequently. Absolutely. Absolutely. You were a sportscaster. Um, yeah. Did you play sports growing up? I did. I, I played basketball. It was kind of the main sport. It's funny because, I mean, we're not face-to-face, but I'm six feet. So yep. the first thing everyone's like, do you play volleyball? Did you play volleyball? I'm like, nope, <laughs> I play basketball. Um, so I did, um, but I didn't pursue it in college. I, you know, I went to University of Wisconsin-Platteville and right away, which was um, actually pretty awesome, is um, because it was a smaller college, I got to have my own sports show my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so got to interview all the coaches and, and the, the coaches, Bo Ryan and, and beyond, a lot of his players are now coaches. Um, so it's just been kind of interesting to see that, that whole thing grow. And also I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So knew, um, you know, Tony Bennett was at a competing high school and so knew his father. So when I went back to sports broadcasting, not only did I cover the Packers, but UWGB basketball. And so that was kind of a small little network. And now it's fun to watch, you know, Tony, you know, do the first uh, first place upset by a 16 seed and then come back and win it the next year. So. And win it all. So um, when you think about your your master's in journalism and communications and your, your experience in the broadcast industry, how has that helped you? And this is a big part of our audience. How has it helped Absolutely. you work with bankers, raise capital, expand your business? Because what you're doing is presenting 90% of the time. How are those skills benefited you? It's huge. And so Shannon also has a background in broadcast. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if I mentioned that. Um, as well. And it's so interesting to me. I mean, the first um, restaurant that we opened, you know, we picked our opening date and everyone's like, well, you're, you're not going to open on that date. Like restaurants never open on that. It's like building a house, right? You're never done on time and on budget. Sure. Um, but we're like, well, yeah, we will be because growing up in this broadcast world, there's five, six, 10 o'clock news. You can't get your, your package or your thing done at midnight because you just missed the 10 o'clock news. Right. And so that is very interesting to us just as far as like, we're very punctual on time. Um, when we have a deadline, it's respected mm-hmm. um, in not only between ourselves, but our whole team. And then also there was the aspect of, um, you know, kind of putting yourself out there. I mean, broadcasting is, you know, you're in front of a camera, you're in front of a crowd, you're in front of people. Mm -hmm. And so you do get a lot of that experience of having to present your ideas or, you know, make a persuasive argument of whatever it might be. So that was, um, so it was a very good background. I mean, it wasn't an MBA, but there were a lot of aspects to it that um, really helped with what we're doing today. Did you experience any of the challenges that you believe some other female founders experienced during your growth period? You know, that's a great question. Probably, yes. Mm-hmm. But again, I 
I came from sports broadcasting where I was the only female in the office. And so it's one of those things where yes. And what are we going to do about it? Sure. It's not, Oh, this is horrible. And mm -hmm. you sit there, it's like, okay, well that one didn't work. What's the next one? So I'm sure we, you know, when we were raising investor capital, um, absolutely. I'm sure we were turned down, you know, just, you know, for, for reasons of, Oh, well, you know, here's two females that are trying to start a restaurant and they're not even in the restaurant business. Right. Um, and, and I get that. And that would have been the same, whether we were male or female or whatever, right. but um, I'm sure we have, but I think at the same time, we've really leaned into like the success part of it. And mm -hmm. what can we do to, you know, if there's a problem, how are we going to solve it? Not focus on the problem. It's a great lesson. I think for anybody listening to this, whether they're, you know, a female or not, you know, when you think about the challenges you're facing, you can absorb those challenges one of two ways. You can feel like a victim mm -hmm. and, or you can plow through it and then try to help change the situation so other people don't face the same, the same challenges. Yes. So that's wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm wondering about as you started the business and you're raising children at the same time. So yes. I, don't, I don't care any parent raising kids and running a business at the same time is incredibly challenging. Mm -hmm. Are there moments where you thought to yourself, we're crazy? Oh, we still do. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. are your, are your kids playing sports? Yes. Yeah. Yep. That that's another challenge in and of itself is to try to be there yep. for all those events. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I feel like the fact that we picked a child focused business mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like bring your kid to work day every day type mm -hmm. of thing. So I just, I mean, there was one trip that I took out to Southern California, brought my daughter and her friend along because all we did was go to aquariums and museums and children's museums and science centers. And how fantastic is that, that right. they're getting to have all this experience. They got to be our taste testers. Um, they're nice child labor they're in all of our photographs when they're nice and young and cute <laughs> now that they're sweaty teenagers they're not as photographed um in our in our stuff but um but it was just they've always been part of it right and i think them seeing not only the the best times of it but mm -hmm. also what we're going through right now or having to you know furlough over 100 people um they've seen how that has affected me and so they see that wow this is not always easy and right. but sometimes it's great and so for kids to see that um i think that's huge i think that's huge yeah there's no better benefit to your children recognizing that it's not all rosy yes and that there are difficult decisions and challenges by the way they might be on the other end of a furlough or layoff at some point in their career absolutely and absolutely. if they see how you've considered that process and recognize that it'll help them deal with that and the people around them Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a couple of things you've tapped into throughout the whole podcast about your brand, right? Mm -hmm. How you name your associates, the, the market you're going after. Describe that if you were to give an entrepreneur a tip about building a brand, what would be the top three things you would suggest to them? Well, I think, so for us, we um, had our mission um, and we had our core values right from the beginning and it's HIP, H-I-P-P. -P. Yep. It's health, innovation, positivity, and playfulness. And we have stayed true to those core values in all, every decision that we make. And they're not just, you know, the four words that are up on the wall or in our website or whatever it is. We literally, when we are making a decision, um, like 
what we had to do with our, our bean team. Mm -hmm. um, if we're going to open a place, if we're going to even take, you know, an investor or money from a place, is this person hip? Are they hip mm -hmm. enough? Um, I mean, we kind of joke that sometimes, you know, some people need a hip replacement, but it's not because of their physical body. Um, <laughs> are they hip enough? That, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's just mm -hmm. know who you are, know mm -hmm. what you stand for, your, you know, yourself as founders and your business, and then look at every decision you make through that lens. It makes decision-making so much easier. So that's what I would say would be the, the It's thing. strong advice. A lot of people think about a mission or a value statement and they don't really pay attention to it. They check a box, they do it because they think they have to. Uh, it's interesting. My wife is probably one of the better judges of people and character that I've met. And, and, I, and I think it's a woman thing. I think women inherently can zoom into a person's real deep pers personality much faster. So I tend to trust her instinct. If she says, oh, red flag over there, I, I value it. I listen to it. And nine out of 10 times, she's doggone right. It drives me nuts. But when you think about applying, is someone hip enough? By the way, that's a fantastic phrase. And I read that in your article on Thrive Global, which yeah. was congratulations. That's great exposure for the business. How often do you hit it right? So you think about you've got 200 employees. Are you getting it right 95% of the time, 80% of the time? What's the, what's the hit ratio there? You know, it's very interesting because I feel like it's the hire and then it's the training mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily us weeding out people. It's mm -hmm. people weeding themselves out. Wow. Um, if that makes sense. It does. Um, I mean, we have a quite intense training process and not everyone decides this is the place for them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. Sure. Um, and especially in this, in this business, I mean, we have a lot of you know, college students, we have a lot of people that this is a stop um, along a larger, bigger journey. And that's mm -hmm. fantastic um, if we can, you know, have them for that little bit of time. But it is, I mean, we have our culture, we drink the, I mean, it's not Kool-Aid, smoothies, whatever. Um, but it, not everyone fits um, and that's okay. And, but I think most of the time um, we do get it right. We promote from within. Um, Every single person on our corporate leadership staff that, you know, has moved, was a bean leader at one time. Mm -hmm. um, and now our, our food and beverage or food and that's Bean Jovi was a bean leader. Mike was a bean leader. John was a bean leader. Like all these people that have moved up in our organization um, were leaders working in the cafe. And so I think that's a big piece of it for other people to see that there is growth potential um at our place it's been i mean we've had people move across the country i remember the first time someone moved from the bay area to la and we were paying relocation costs i'm like someone's actually gonna move their life for bean sprouts like wow. it was like this big like wait a second are we sure we're we're okay like mm -hmm. letting them do that and and it was and we've had I, we've had some, a lot of people move to other places in the country to open new bean sprouts and I think giving those type of opportunities is fantastic. Um, our COO, I cannot say enough about him. His name's Joe, the Podfather. Mm -hmm. He has um, he actually worked at Cinnabon when there were only like six or seven Cinnabons. Okay. And he helped grow them to when they ended up selling many years later. And then he went um, and worked in the the food service um, hospitality management. Okay. So he was um, HMS host. 
Oh, sure. Um, and so, yeah. And so he um, worked at malls, airports um, with different brands. And he has put this wonderful just process together of making sure that our core values are incorporated into everything we do. And I think that just really helps when, you know, someone is joining onto our team to just know what the opportunities are. And I just for an example, he finds ways to promote people without having a job title. So for example, you're, you become, if you're really good, you become part of our training team. Sure. So part of our training team flies out to a new bean sprouts and helps open it. And we've had people in the restaurant industry, um, I, one in particular that I can think of, she had never been on a plane before. Oh my and she word. Had to come out to Colorado Springs and help open the Colorado Springs one. And it's just like, wow, there's opportunities like this, you know, even though I work in a cafe. And it's like, don't say even though. You work in sure. a cafe, you represent bean sprouts. And we really put a lot of, you know, trust and faith in our people that are on the front lines because they're the ones that are interacting with the, the customer day in, day out. So that was a 10 minute masterclass on how to build a culture and train people. That was, was amazing. Yeah. A couple of things to, to, to pull out of there that were really good. First of all, uh, Bean Jovi is now my new favorite name of all time. It is. It's pretty good. But I remember even back with Starbucks, there were the ones that, what's your name, writing your name on the cup and calling, like that didn't cost anything to call someone's name. Brilliant. But the it was absolutely brilliant. It, what's interesting about us is that our places aren't all in the same city. So you can't, you know, go to one and train there. And so it's how right. do you replicate this, you know, when your stores are hundreds of, you know, thousands of miles away from each other. And that's what he brought to the table. He knew how to put a process in place. Shannon and I are idea people, which is good and bad sure. <laughs> for both of us to be idea people. He is so focused on operations and we needed that at that point. So, um, he did put the training piece together. Um, we being sprout atized it, if that makes sure, sense. It does. Yeah. So yes. Uh, that's an important thing for other leaders and entrepreneurs to recognize is when to scale, bring on that resource, which is scary, right? You're yeah. only three or four stores. That's a heavy hitter you brought in. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Was that part of a, an investment raise that allowed you to scale a little bit ahead of the curve there? Or were you generating enough yeah. cash to do that? Um, both. Okay. It was, it was both. Um, but yeah, it was, we knew we needed it. Our, we have a small board, um, yeah. okay. and our board knew we needed it mm-hmm. and we hired, you know, the person for 20 stores, not for four stores. And we knew that going into it. It was kind of funny because, um, our, our very first meeting we met in our location at the Bay area, okay. um, in Sausalito, right underneath Golden Gate Bridge. It's beautiful at the Bay area discovery museum. And then we got in a car, Shannon, myself, and the podfather, and drove to Southern California. And we're like, if he can survive us for five to six hours, we think he's the right person. And so he started as a consultant, actually. And then we wow. pulled him in. Mm-hmm. That was not part of the brochure. Guess what? You're going to no, get the car it drive. Wasn't. It was wasn't. That, is it like an eight hour drive? Uh, like six. Yeah. yeah. You know, Kelly, this has been highly informative. I, I, I really enjoy meeting someone who's articulate, but also is bringing a lot of value and content to the podcast. You've certainly done that. What's uh, what's the next three years look like for Bean Sprouts? What's your vision? Is it is it global domination, or how do you see it? How do you see it happening? 
Yeah, I don't think it's global domination. I think it's continuing to find the the problems that we can solve mm-hmm. um, where our food, our people, our culture, our brand makes sense. Um, I've seen companies that grow too fast. And when that happens, that's you know not great. Um, so we want to continue to grow, continue to give opportunities to our people. Um, I'm sure we're, we've, uh, we do um, have a couple partners in places that are too big for us to do ourselves, like a big zoo, for example. Sure. We're not going to do all the stations and all the food. We're just the bean sprouts. Mm-hmm. So I can see us growing. Um, we have some contracts signed that I'm not able to share some new places that are fantastic that we've done with partners. Um, so bigger food service players. Mm-hmm. So I see us both growing organically with our company-owned stores, but a lot more of those type of licensing deals that we're going to be able to get into some bigger places, different verticals like we were talking about. So that's all really exciting. Well, Kelly, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation and and wish you the best of luck, especially seeing someone, uh, a fellow Wisconsinite do so well. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.